You're listening to a Bite Size Weekly here on Monocle 24. This week, Monocle's May Lee Evans speaks to Lisa Rovner, the filmmaker behind the documentary Sisters with Transistors. The title shines a light on the pioneering women who've helped shape early electronic music, including the likes of Delia Derbyshire, the great composer who came up with that iconic score for the original Doctor Who, to Suzanne Charney and the late Pauline Oliveros. Narrated by avant-garde music stalwart Laurie Anderson, the film tumbles through archive footage to bring these women to the fore. May Lee, what a remarkable roster of electronic musicians this film covers. It's it's incredible, and actually going through, I mean, I'd, I'd heard the name Delia Derbyshire before, but a lot, of, a lot of the others were names I kind of heard in passing, but I didn't really know very much about them. So discovering, I guess, their contributions and actually the way that they shaped and also kind of tested what electronic music can be has been, been really enlightening. It also sounds like the sort of film that maybe will appeal to people with a pre-existing interest in electronic music, but that actually tells quite an important and a hidden history that should appeal to fans of music more broadly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's interesting with this film is that it it doesn't signpost itself as being a definitive history. It's very aware and says, these are just some of the people who are out there. And um, in the conversation I had with Lisa, she's very keen to stress that she wants viewers to kind of take this as a as a launch pad and go, OK, I'm interested in, in this composer. Let me see what else they're up to. And for this, I suppose, to be a bit more of a primer to get more into maybe the avant-garde side of electronic music. Well, I think without further ado, then, we must take a listen. Technology is a tremendous liberator. It blows up power structures. Women are naturally drawn to electronic music. You didn't have to be accepted by any of the male-dominated resources. You could make something with electronics and you can present music directly to your audience. And that gives you tremendous freedom. Like most people, when I thought of early electronic music, I really thought of men pushing the buttons, knobs and boundaries. And so when I discovered through just a random kind of newsletter, some old photos of women with tape machines and synthesizers and realized that they were some of the greatest pioneers of modern sound, I was compelled to break their silence or the silence that surrounded their stories. I wanted to give them a voice. So, yeah, it was really just discovering these old photos I was just so intrigued. They were so beautiful and the machines were so big and um, it was just not something I'd really ever seen before. documentary focuses on several pioneering women in electronic music and that's charting all the way from Clara Rockmore who's playing this very ghostly theremin in the 1920s to Laurie Spiegel and Suzanne Ciani who are still alive today. So I wondered what, what was your criteria in narrowing down the featured I guess creatives? I was at the mercy of the archive. The archive drove the story. It dictated what we were able to explore. The archive kind of wrote the story and narrowed things down for me. There are loads of other women working in electronics, but I just couldn't find archive to help illustrate their stories. I really want to stress that this film is not the definitive history of women in electronic music and that there is no such thing. What I hope is that this film will inspire more research on the subject. And as a filmmaker, I want to create 
active viewers, not passive consumers. I want to create curiosity. I don't want people to think, okay, I've got an understanding of that subject. I want people to go and think, oh, there's so much more than I knew about this subject and there must be even more. interestingly stressing that this film isn't definitive because what I notice is the start of the film it doesn't sort of go into that very talking head someone sitting very still telling you and ensuring that you know that this is the the definite history of how things have have happened I mean this is a lot more in my view it felt a lot more impressionistic we kind of get snatches of contemporary musicians we get critics sort of peppered in and if it was a lot more like this collection of reflections and thoughts on some of the figures we've had I mean what was your process in getting those names and 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 deciding to go for that style yeah I wanted to make a film that mirrored the subject in terms of the way the subject is so experimental and I just really wanted a film that matched the subject. That was super key. I guess from the beginning, I always imagined this film as an oral history of electronic music. In terms of how we came to select the people who appear or comment in the film, it just happened organically and naturally. I would read something and that would make me think of something else or In the research, I discovered I wanted contemporaries of the women. I wanted younger women whose work was influenced by the subjects in the film. It was a long process, the writing of this film. And I did interviews really until the last, you know, the last cut. And there were a lot of interviews that obviously got cut, which is always the problem when you're making a film. You you gather all this incredible material and then you've got to edit it down and make it fit in an hour and 20. But... There's so many more voices that I wish I could have included, but somehow it just, you had to just, yeah, make it work in an hour and 20. the film we're in the world of this very tactile form of sound production we've got as you mentioned these really massive machines got really sizable computers i mean this is an age before sort of the digital audio workstation and i guess nowadays a lot of music or sound producers are maybe doing everything just off a laptop i think a lot of people feel very nostalgic for this more tactile form of making where everything is actually something you can see in front of you it's physical I mean was there something in that quality and not maybe veering into the more I guess digital forms of sound making or music making the way that people were making electronic music at the time was created a much a looser and a warmer sound an unpredictable and imperfect sound and maybe even a more human sound which I think is why we are so drawn to it one of the things that I discovered in in making this film was just how much The human plays a role in the composition of electronic music. I think that we think of it as the machines making the music, but especially at that time, it was, you definitely feel the the human hand, the gesture, the, the person behind the machine. I decided to end the film with Laurie Spiegel in 1986. In 1986, with Laurie Spiegel's creating Music Mouse. So Music Mouse was this groundbreaking computer program that turns the Mac computer 
into a musical instrument. And it was one of the first software programs available to consumers. And it really underpins the practice of most electronic music producers today. So in many ways, 1986 felt like the future had arrived. to just how laborious this process is. We see Dealey Derbyshire and Daphne Oram like actually splicing the tapes, showcasing how you loop and the precision and the mathematics that you need. How key was it for you to emphasise the more technical aspects of electronic music making as opposed to maybe focusing solely on the more aesthetic or abstract maybe qualities? I was completely blown away by the early archive that shows how electronic music is made. I had no idea that that's how one made electronic music. So it was definitely something I wanted to share. And there's just something so charming about the archive, for example, of Delia Derbyshire when she's presenting how she composes with tape to BBC audiences in 1964, or, or the archive of Suzanne who's explaining how she uses a synthesizer in the same way that someone would sort of said she plays a synthesizer in the same way that someone would play a cello. Again, it's 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 about like humanizing electronic music. And I don't know about you, but watching these women make music made me want to make music and made me think that even as a non-musician that it was possible. So yeah, I absolutely love all of that archive and I'm so happy that we were able to find it and that we were that I, I think it's just one of the more fascinating aspects of the archive is is seeing these people at the time with machines explaining to audiences how they're used and how sound is created with them. The archive was kind of all over the place. It was a really wild journey. And again, I was finding stuff really to the last minute. It was years of of research and years of obviously, yeah, contacting the big archive houses like Getty and BBC and the French equivalent, but uh, yeah, I had to kind of go a lot deeper than just that. Yes, I, you know, reached out to like ex-lovers and I mean, I knew it was going to be difficult to find the archive because obviously it was a kind of buried history, but I didn't realize just how difficult. And of course, like you say, like a lot of the stuff, you know, the Clara Rockmore footage, for example, came from the family. I mean, it was just so incredible to see her in the 1920s in this home, home movie style footage where she's just, you just get such a sense of who she is through that footage. And I love working with archive. I find it so transporting. And I think without the archive, this film, it wouldn't have been possible. When you were reaching out to, I guess, the family, friends and ex-lovers, as you mentioned, were people aware of sort of how important the material they had was? Like, were they recording and documenting things in the moment because they felt it was imperative for future audiences or whether it was something that people were documenting for themselves, I suppose? I guess it was a little bit of both, but I think everybody filming those things realised how special what they were filming was. And I think what's interesting with this film is that all this archive exists. And so it's so strange that, you know, most people have never heard of these women because obviously while they were doing their thing, people recognized how incredible their work was and they filmed it. And so it's just interesting how history kind of forgets these people, even though at the time people were recognizing just how ambitious their creativity was.
What I really enjoyed about watching the documentary was the fact that audiences are given time to actually sit with some of the music. And it's, it's not like a case of rattling through lots of pieces very quickly. You're actually allowed to sort of settle into a piece. What were you hoping in giving viewers, and particularly, I guess, first-time listeners to some of this music, what were you hoping that they might get from hunkering down a little bit and sitting with the sound? Time to listen. I mean, that's what this film is really all about, listening. I wanted audiences to have time to think, to listen deeply. I really think that these days there's no better place to listen to music than in a cinema. When you're in the dark, you're surrounded by speakers, you've got no distractions. If the film had been created for television, I don't know that we would have had the time and the space, or I I don't know that we would have been able to give people the time and the music, the space it needs. I've always felt quite frustrated in music docs how little time there is to actually be with a performer or how little time the music actually is given. And so I wanted to do something different. And I really wanted people to soak in, to almost bathe in sound. Obviously, you know, the film is is being presented online through these festivals just because of COVID. But I hope that people watching the film at home on their laptops will wear headphones because the sound is so immersive and giving people time to listen is is really what this whole film is about. It's so weird to think about this film just only being viewed on computers and like home cinemas because it was really created for, I really wanted to create like a cinematic film and for people to really be completely immersed in the images and and the stories and and the sound. And I I just, I know how I am when I watch stuff online, I'm like kind of, or at home, I'm kind of checking the phone and it's, it's a bit heartbreaking to think that that's probably how most people will experience this film, but it will go to cinema at some point, hopefully, and, um, and people will get to experience it in that way, hopefully, sooner than later. I really wanted the editing to reflect the experimental nature of the subject. I wanted to draw connections. You know, I wanted sometimes for the visuals to mirror what was happening in the sound and sometimes not, and I didn't want anything to be too didactic or rigid because ultimately this is a film about people finding freedom through experimentation and I wanted to show that visually. I wanted for people to see the freedom that you hear in the sound. I guess, what new appreciation have you garnered through making this film or what surprises have you found along the way? The biggest thing that I discovered through the making of this film is the importance of active listening, especially for what's left out. And of course, within that discovery, there's also the discovery of of the problem of who is listening or rather who is not listening. Pauline Oliveros, one of the subjects of the film, argued that listening was a form of activism and that through deep and inclusive listening, we could heal and I really couldn't agree more. I think that's the biggest lesson. That's what I hope people will walk away with, with this desire to listen. It seems like these days it's it's all about transmit and no receive. And I think the world would be such a better place if we just listened to each other more and if we were more aware of, of who's not being listened to and giving those people voice and space and basically just giving those people the mic. That's the biggest thing for me. It's opened my my ears. I, I just feel like I hear differently now. I feel like I'm so much more aware of sound and of silence. And 
I hope others will feel the same. My thanks to Lisa Rovner there. She was speaking to Maylee Evans. For lucky listeners in Italy, the film is available to stream at the 61st Festival de Popoli from the 21st to the 28th of November. To keep up to date with the film and where you can check it out next, visit www.sisterswithtransistors.com. This interview was conducted and edited by Maylee Evans. I've been Augustin Macellari. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.